Wouldn't you rather have Jesus than anything else? Three years ago, after chairing the logistics committee for the Louis Plow Festival, the Holy Spirit spoke to me the next morning. And he said, Paul, you're saved. You've been forgiven of your sins, but am I Lord of your life? And I had to say, no, you're not. But I want you to be. And I want you to know that three years ago, there was a change in my life where God is everything to me. I love him with all my heart. I'm in, passionately in love with Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that God has sent me here this morning. He ordains the steps of a righteous man or woman. We're made righteous in the blood of Jesus. We're still sinners. Talk to my wife. I can be the biggest failure in the world, but we're covered by the blood. By the way, redemption means our sins have been taken away. Atonement only meant a covering in the Old Testament. But when you come to Jesus Christ, you've been redeemed. And redemption means the sins, the blots are gone. And I believe God has sent me here this morning for a very serious reason. I'm to speak on heaven, which is a wonderful topic to speak on. But God has also sent me here to talk about hell. And I'm going to quote the famous Jewish evangelist, Dr. Hyman Appleman, who went to be with the Lord in 1982. By age 47, he led over 300,000 people to Christ, absolutely without radio or television. I think he's written one of the greatest sermons I've ever read about heaven. And God has also told me I'm to speak on hell this morning, a sermon you don't hear much, because we have seeker-friendly churches all over America. I praise God that Pastor George and others have spoken hell here. But God wants me to speak on it because the day is a day of salvation. But I'm just happy that Jesus is my Savior, aren't you? There are some of you here today who are not living with the Lord. God has brought me here for you. There's two homes you're going to live in for eternity. Which one will you choose, heaven or hell? And that's what God has sent me here this morning for. And I'm just praying that your heart will be open to the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray right now and I thank you for the privilege to be here, to preach your word. The Bible says your word will not come back void. And God, we give you all the praise and glory because everything done is done by you. Not by might nor power, by my spirit, says the Lord God Almighty. So, Lord, using this morning as an instrument of your peace, the hearts would be touched that there are people here that don't know you would come to Christ. And, Lord, let me speak on heaven and hell because they're one of our two homes we're going to spend eternity in. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Two homes. Which one will you choose? Are you going to pick heaven? By the way, I tried to pick out a house that might look like your heavenly mansion. The Bible says, eyes have not seen, ears are heard, or mind can comprehend what God's prepared for you. By the way, that picture doesn't do justice because the Bible says, eyes have not seen, ears have heard. We can't even comprehend. And Jim Elbison had a good point. Heaven is not just the home, the mansions God's preparing, our house itself. It's the whole environment and community of holiness. It is going to be so perfect, we cannot comprehend what God's prepared for us. I remember one time in a service just recently, God, I felt, took my spirit out of my body into a place I can't describe during the worship service, but I had such a sense of sadness when I came back up to two minutes. I had felt just a taste of what heaven's going to be like. It's beyond what I could ever describe in a thousand years to you. And God's preparing that. But just the opposite, the other home for those that are lost is a lake of fire. The Lord told me, don't show a house. I was going to show a beat-up old house. He said, Paul, it won't do it justice. Show the lake of fire of brimstone. It's so horrible you can't comprehend it. I just want to warn those of you in this service who have never come to Jesus Christ, the day is the day of salvation for you. And I believe without any question God has led me here today. And here's why he led me here. One, to those of you who are not saved, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Harden not your heart, lest the Holy Spirit leave you. I want you to know that I've witnessed to people in hospitals that have gone to a crisis eternity because they had no interest. I remember most visibly at Mercy Hospital ten years ago. 
My neighbor asked me to witness to a young man who rejected Christ in front of me with Dick Enroth, my spiritual mentor, and four days later he was screaming and screeching as he went into a Christless eternity. And the Bible says God will not always strive with men and women. And I'm going to tell a story about some of our parishioners who have experienced that in this church that I hope will sober us. Second of all, there are people in this congregation who are in this category. You're backslidden. You have grieved and quenched the Holy Spirit. God is not the Lord of your life. You're saved, but you're out of fellowship with Jesus today. And I believe the Holy Spirit of God is going to move in this service this morning because he's already told me he's going to. And those of you that are grieving the Holy Spirit have quenched him. I'm begging you right now, and God's going to convict you to come forward today and to reconnect yourself with God. He's calling you. Jesus wants the fellowship he's had with you in the past. He wants to be your partner in life. But you've got to obey him. The Bible says it's better to obey than sacrifice. And I believe God has sent me here for you today that are in that situation in our church. And finally, there are the members of our church who are obeying and walking with the Lord. And I encourage you as I speak on heaven and hell that you will encourage to tell other people about the great home God's prepared for those who know Jesus Christ. But I also encourage you to tell those who are lost, like many of the people that are coming to the service today that have invited today to the second service that are lost, that are friends of mine, that they would come to Christ today. For Romans says, Blessed are the feet of those who bring good news. Proverbs says, A wise man or woman winneth souls for Christ. So I tell you that heaven, this is a gift. The one thing the Holy Spirit spoke to me when I was preparing the sermon, and by the way, I've changed the sermon several times, and God told me to do it, that heaven is a gift. The interesting thing about Lucifer is you get the wages of sin. That's his gift for you. Heaven is a gift. It's nothing we can do to gain it. It's a gift God wants to give it to us through Jesus Christ, but only through Christ can you receive heaven. By the way, the wages of sin is death. That's what we earn. We reject Jesus Christ and deny that he's Lord and King. Jesus will deny us in front of the Father. And I will tell you right now that the wages of sin is death. The Lord gave me an example. He said, Paul, if I gave one of your parishioners a $20 million home in Lake Minnetonka, that would be a gift. It would be a pretty nice gift. But he said, the people are in hell, they pay $20 million for their home. In the middle of a lake of fire, this can last for eternity. That's their wage. So will you pick the gift of heaven or will you take the wages of hell? The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Let me show you my hero in the faith, the wonderful Dr. Appleman. Came to Christ at age 28. Brilliant, brilliant. Spoke many languages. A lawyer from northwestern DePaul. His father rejected him, never came to Christ. His father threw him out of the home and said, I'd rather serve a dog and feed a dog than ever see you again, my son. And yet this great evangelist by the age of 47 had led 300,000 people to Christ without radio or television. My dear friend Frank Mosey of SOS Evangelism, who knew him well, said this man would lead souls wherever he went. He would skip sermons for the Lord. And people would start coming forward before he even had an altar call. That's how powerful the Holy Spirit walked in him. And he's my hero in the faith because Jesus was Lord of his life, not just Savior. So, folks, as you look to heaven, I'm going to quote very liberally from Dr. Appleman from his sermon, Heaven is for you to cover the heaven part of my sermon. And then God has told me to cover the hell part myself for you. This is what Dr. Appleman said in a great sermon he presented. Heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. It's one of the mightiest, if not the various mightiest rewards of God.
God Almighty holds out to those who accept His Son as Savior and by persistent well-doing show forth their title to eternal fellowship with the hosts of glory. Dr. Appleman says, It's my purpose, God aiding, to bring to your minds, hearts, your souls, some of the glorious, victorious truths about heaven, its citizens, its perfections, its conditions, and perhaps most of all to point out to you what you must do to get there. And I want you to know as I quote Dr. Appleman and as I talk about hell, you're going to see the tremendous contrast between the two. Dr. Appleman says, Then to plead with you in all the passion of my soul that you put your feet by faith in the way of the cross that leads to God and leads to heaven. He says, then he goes on to say, I know there is a heaven. He says, fairness says so. Decency, justice, rightness, honor, honesty, common sense demand it. Where would the justice, the boasted equity of God, were there no heaven? Christians do not always have the best in this life. My mother sure was one of them. Many of them are poor. Many of them are sick. Many of them are oppressed, afflicted, and tormented. There is very little reward for them in this life. Dr. Appleman says, tell me, can you believe that the sacrificial saint and the selfish sinner will meet God and enjoy the same conditions and life beyond? Fairness requires that there be a difference. Heaven is the difference. Fairness says it's so. Dr. Appleman says, feelings say it's so. There's a heaven. There's something in my heart, as there is surely in your heart, some affection, some emotion, some drawing, some pulling, some echoing, something that tells us again and again there is a life beyond the skies, a life with God, a life with joy, of tenderness, of purity, of holiness, of peace, where these troublesome, trying, tempestuous burdens that afflict us will be sloughed off, and we shall stand free and upright in the sign of God and of His Christ. And then Dr. Appleman says, most importantly, faith tells me there's a heaven. Faith is the confidence in the Word of God, the Bible. This book unmistakably, definitely, shoutingly, pressingly, imperatively teaches that there is a heaven. John 14, 2 and 3, Jesus is speaking. He says, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. It's a promise for every believer in Jesus Christ. That Jesus is coming back for us. At the rapture, He's going to take us to heaven. If we die before the rapture, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord immediately. My mother in 1991 went to be with the Lord instantly. She put her hands up in the air before the angels came together and she went to be with the Lord. My father in 1955 dropped dead in our kitchen to a crisis eternity. As my mother said to him, Dewey, God will not allow you to beat me anymore. And he dropped dead. But I want you to know that fairness says it. But most importantly, God's Word says it. And then Dr. Appleman says, I know what kind of place heaven's going to be. And I want you to think on these words. And I want you to see the contrast, what hell's going to be. He says it's a work of art. It's a labor of love. It is in every detail a great thing of beauty, of joy forever. Its grasses, its trees, its flowers are of breathtaking beauty. Its streets are paved with gold. Its buildings are of the costless, costless everlasting marble. Its government is in the hands of the Prince of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the superintendent of education. and The angels make up the teaching staff. There are no jailhouses. 
No prisons, no reformatories, no hospitals, no orphanages, no old folks' homes, no drugstores, no doctors, even Dr. Johnson, who I saw a couple weeks ago, no dentists. Thank God, no lawyers, he says. <laughs> Just kidding. No courts, no blind, no deaf, no dumb. No cripples, Dr. Appleman writes. No weak, no aged, no feeble. Sin and Satan are banished forever. Nothing that is unclean or defiles in any way will be permitted to enter through its wide gates. There is nothing on earth which we can compare to it. The human mind cannot comprehend, nor can the human tongue describe the glories of that eternal prepared place. And Dr. Appleman says it's a populated place. John says he saw a great multitude which no man can number of every nation, kindred, and tribe out of all the nations of the earth. Thank God for that, he writes. From every continent, country, color, creed over all the earth, Jew and Gentile, black and white, Catholic, Protestant, Baptist, young and old, rich and poor, weak and strong, educated, ignorant, they've all been bidden to the marriage supper of the land, of the marriage supper of the Lamb, and many have accepted the invitation. What a crowd it will be. All of us have friends, Dr. Appleman writes, that we're as dear to us as our own flesh. They're dear to us as our own flesh and blood whom God has called up higher. They, too, are waiting for us in heaven, waiting to welcome us into the fellowship of the eternal bliss. Yes, heaven is a people place filled with those who have washed their garments and made them in the white, in the blood of Jesus who redeems. It is a perfect place, Dr. Appleman says. There's no disappointments in heaven. No discouragements, no dishearteningness. There's no sorrow and glory, no suffering, no pain. And then he says, the waters of the river of life flow abundantly to be freely received unto all the renewal of youth, vigor, vitality. We never grow old up there. Isn't it an interesting contrast that in heaven, the waters of life flow through its being, but in hell there's not one drop of water. That's exactly why there's no blood in hell. There'll be no ability to have any type of life. That's why there's no drop of water, as we read in Luke 16, verses 19 through 36, the rich man. Not one comfort, but heaven's the opposite. And then what's exciting, and I think those of you who know Christ, you know this is true. He says, I know I'm going there. This is a message God has brought me for you here today. Do you know you're going there? Do you know this is going to be your home? He says, I'm bound for the promised land. That one day I shall tread its golden streets. That one day I shall hear the angels sing. That one day I shall meet all my precious friends who have gone on before me. And that one day I shall see my blessed Savior, Jesus, face to face. Romans 10, 9 through 10. So that if you confess in your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes... Unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. And then finally, Dr. Appleman in his sermon on heaven says, I urge you to have your passport. Permit me, last one word, he says. As God gave me utterance, I have told you why I know there is a heaven, what kind of place it is, why I know I'm going there. And then Dr. Appleman says to every one of you here today, may I passionately, earnestly, urgently beseech you to get your passport. You may if you will. It is altogether dependent upon your willingness. There is but one thing in your way. It's not your sins. Christ can and will wash away those. It's not your weaknesses. 
The Holy Spirit can conquer those in you. There is nothing in your way but your own will. I will. This hour, if you're ready to say to God, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, God stands ready to enroll you in the citizenship of heaven, to give you your passport. Make sure your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And then he says today, the gates of glory swing wide open for your entrance. God is bending down from the throne. Jesus is reaching out his pierced hands to reach you. The Holy Spirit is softly whispering the gentle welcome of the invitation. Will you accept it this morning? Let me go to the worst subject, hell. Most people, by the way, choose this house. Hell is the opposite of heaven. I've just described by Dr. Appleman. Let me just give you a few differences quickly. Whereas in heaven there's joy, there's hopelessness in hell. The worst thing in life, I believe, today is when you're hopeless. That's when you kill yourself. That's when you give up in despair. Throughout eternity, hell will be hopeless. Where in heaven there's rewards, in heaven there's nothing but, in hell there's nothing but punishment. Punishment for the sins of mankind. In heaven where there's perfect health and vitality, in hell there'll be endless torment throughout the ages. In heaven where we'll be with God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, in hell, we're going to be with the godless, the damned, and the demons. Hell is the other house. It's inferior and it's horrible, and most choose it. It's a lake of fire. It's indescribable. Matthew 7, 13 through 14 says, Enter by the narrow gate to heaven. But it says, For wide is the weight, wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and most choose it. And there are many who go by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life, and there are few who find it. But I want you all to know this morning, under God's authority of his word, that God wants none to perish. The Bible says that. Hell was originally created for the devil and his angels, but it's such a horrible place. Can you imagine that God prepared it for the devil and the angels, that that's where you'll spend eternity if you don't know him? It was never planned for you, but God cannot stand sin. His standard of sin is completely different than ours. What we justify in backsliding, what we justify in immorality, what we justify in doing wrong, God cannot stand. Hell is mentioned, by the way, over 160 times in the New Testament. And Jesus himself talks about it 70 specific times. He mentions hell. Luke 16, verses 19 through 31, we know the rich man is in hell. In fact, God originally was going to have me speak just on these, these, this chapter. But the Lord changed. He said, I want you to describe heaven and hell to them. Show them the contrast of my gift versus the wages of sin. Now, I want you to know what we read about in Luke 16, 19 through 31, the rich man of Lazarus, who Lazarus goes to heaven, not because he's poor, but because he loved the Lord. And the rich man went to hell, not because he was rich, but because he hated God. And there are a couple things the Lord told me to tell you what comes out of those verses. Number one, torment and hell. The rich man just asked for one drop of water. I always wondered why he only asked for one, because that would be his hope. If he could just have one drop of water throughout the ages, he would have hope in heaven. I mean, hope in hell, excuse me. He'll never have it. And yet every second in heaven, there's not only hope, there's joy, there's peace. Number two in Luke 16, we find out you cannot get out of hell. The Bible says be absent of bodies, be present with the Lord for the believer. The non-believer then comes judgment. And Luke 16 says, we'll never get out of there. 
My father will never get out of hell. Ten trillion years from now, he'll still be in torment. I have no joy telling you that. But he chose at age 55, he had plenty of time to come to Christ. And then the other thing is that I think the worst thing in hell, my friends, and this is what's convicted me more, to tell souls about Jesus and be an evangelist. The third thing we learn is that he wanted to tell his five brothers, he wanted to warn them what awaits them, because he had never told them. Because in the Jewish culture, he was the father of the family. And I think the worst torment in hell will not be if I'm suffering. It will be that my wife and my children and my grandchildren are with me forever, and I'm responsible. I have a friend in Stockholm, Sweden, who I was going to get on an airplane and fly to him last week. He's coming here in June. I'm going to Florida to fly to him to see him. Parents were godly Christians. They were pastors in the Salvation Army. He heard the gospel, but he never received it. He sat in church Sunday after Sunday, like some of you. He had religion. He had the spirit of religion, but he never had a relationship. The day he's a Buddhist in Stockholm. I called him several months ago, and I said, Dan, you're on your way to eternal perdition. And I said, but if you want to go to hell, that's your business. But why send your children with you? You've never told them about Christ. He said, Paul, I don't want to talk about it. Because Satan has deceived him. My prayer for Dan is when I see him in Florida this year, that I'll have a chance to lead him back to Christ. Because he never went there. He had heard the gospel. He sat in a church pew for years as his parents preached and preached the truth. But he had never received it. Dr. Billy Graham says it best. He said, at the 1996 crusade that I co-chaired the PR committee for Governor Al Quee, he said that one night we were packed in the Metrodome. And he said, there are thousands of you out here tonight who hear the gospel every Sunday. And when you die, you're going to go to hell. Because you've never received Christ. You have religion, but you don't have a relationship. And it's no different than you standing in your garage does not make you a car. You sitting in church does not make you a Christian. But I want to tell you a terrifying thing that God told me about hell. The next slide. Hell is actually excited about you coming there. Did you know that? Let me read in Isaiah. This is one of the most terrifying verses in the whole Bible. Hell from beneath is excited about you coming. To meet you at your coming. It stirs up the dead for you. All the chief ones of the earth and hell are waiting for you. It has raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations. They all shall speak to you and say, Have you also become as weak as we? Have you become like us? Your pomp is brought down to shoal, and the sound of your stringed instruments. The maggot is spread under you, and the worms cover you. By the way, that verse is reconfirmed in Psalms 2, where God says that the, he laughs in derision at the kings of the earth who go against him. And I warn people left and right around America that I've been privileged to speak all over. And God's given me more opportunities that he'll not be mocked. And people can laugh about God in their health, but wait till their death. I'm going to give you a couple terrifying examples in just a moment of people in this church, what have happened, people they've witnessed to. Look at the contrast, maggot and worms, versus what Dr. Appleman described about heaven. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. You earned it if you go to hell. Because you did not receive the gift. But the good news is the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul Beerhouse has given me permission from our church to share this story. His father was 92 years of age. His mother was a Jewish believer in Christ. Father never accepted Christ. Hated him. Dead soul, he said. At 92 years of age, Paul Beerhouse was at his father's bed when he was dying. He said, Dad, he and his brother said, Dad, will you now come to Jesus? And his father said, I'd rather be in hell than be with Jesus. And he died immediately. Why do I tell you this story? Because every single pastor I talk to, and I'll be visiting a senior citizen home this afternoon, every pastor who deals with older people will say, very few come to Christ. Your hearts have already been hardened. That's why the Bible says come to Christ today, as the Holy Spirit is dealing with you. Because there is not a guarantee that he will be dealing with you in the future. 
Let me give you another example of that. Keith Miller in our church witnessed to a young 14-year-old boy a couple years ago. He's a friend of his son. He felt led by the Holy Spirit to warn this boy. And by the way, God doesn't promise anybody you'll hear the gospel more than once. But I do believe he'll give you one chance. When I was in India 10 weeks ago in India, the Gospel Association of India's slogan is that at least everyone in India gets one fair chance to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there's not insurance you'll have more than one. I think in America right now we have cheap grace. We hear the gospel every Sunday. We've heard it so often we've just gotten complacent. Keith told this young man about Jesus, and he said, would you like to come to him? And the young 14-year-old boy said, no, I don't. And Keith Mueller looked at the young boy and said, you know, there's no guarantee that you're going to live tomorrow. The young boy said, I'm not going to die tomorrow. He did. He was killed instantly by a car jogging along the road. And I hate to tell every one of you, but I believe there's a 14-year-old boy in a crisis eternity in hell right now who the torment of the ages for him will be had a chance, and he said no. In his case, he only had one chance, but he had a chance. The Bible says, Paul says, there'll be no excuse for the atheists. Because they've seen God in nature. The Bible says there's no excuse for any of us because God has put eternity in our heart. We know there's a God. We know there's something after life. But God is calling upon every one of us to come to him. Last story. Rod Wicklin, my bookkeeper. His grandfather, 24 years ago in Baraboo, Wisconsin, had his whole life mocked God. The Bible says God will not be mocked. And this man said, I'd rather be in hell playing cards with my buddy. He had so hardened his heart against God. Here's what happens. At his deathbed, his daughter comes to him who loved Jesus. And she said, Dad, will you now come to Jesus? He couldn't speak or move because of cancer of the throat from smoking. With all of his might, he shook his head no. He didn't want Jesus. By the way, the Bible says, Thy will be done or my will be done. You pick. If you choose God, you go to heaven. If you choose your will, you're going to hell. And one hour later, this is what happened to Rod's grandfather. He sat up in bed, the man who couldn't move, in abject terror, because he said the demons had come for him, and he dove out of the bed and died on the floor. Look at the contrast of his departure versus my dear mother, who in 1991 put her hands up in the air, the promise of Jesus Christ's redemption, and she went to be with the Lord. What a contrast of wages of sin versus the gift of eternal life. Hell is a real place. Mark 9:43 says, To go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. Never. Hell is a place of eternal punishment. Matthew 25, 46 says, And there will be go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Let me share another thing that God told me to tell you this morning. He spoke to me so audibly on this, I know it's from Him. He said, Paul, a thousand years from now, those of you in your church who know Jesus Christ, who love Him, it will be as a day you've been in heaven. Because the Bible says the day of God is a thousand years and a thousand years a day. But those in hell, it will be a thousand years. A hundred million years from now, it will have been just a couple months for us in heaven. But in hell, every second will tick away because it will have been a hundred million years. And the worst thing for them is it will never end. And the opposite, the greatest joy for us is we've got it never ending in heaven. Because Satan and God are the opposites. Heaven and hell are the absolute opposites. And let us not fool ourselves. God is going to use you to lead people to Christ if you'll be Him. But you first have to know Him. The one thing that troubles me in the church around America is a lack of desire to tell people about Christ. My family members are going to Christ. I'm witnessing to them. I've got neighbors going to Christ. I witnessed them. I invited some to come today. They're not coming. But I'm going to keep inviting them. 
I got family members, friends, colleagues who are lost. I'm telling about Jesus because I know how terrible hell is. Hell is a place of utter darkness, Matthew 25:30. By the way, scoffers say, how can hell be a darkness and have fire at the same time? I'll tell you how. First of all, my God can do anything. How could he have a burning bush in front of Moses and it never consumed itself? That's impossible. Utter darkness doesn't just mean metaphorically hopelessness, which it will be, by the way, but it will be both utter darkness. And people that I've read their accounts going into hell describe that. Hell will be a place of repulsive population. I want to warn every woman and child here today and parent. We put out a list of child molesters who are living in your neighborhood. None of you would want to live next door to a mass murderer. But in hell, it's going to be populated with them. The Bible says the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars shall all have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. I'm more convinced than ever in my spirit that part of the torment will hell will they'll be coming after each other. That wicked, immoral people will be striving against each other in hell. That will be the torment throughout the ages. As you know, I saw the demons in hell eight years ago in my hotel room in Miami. Maybe a bad prayer, but I prayed for 10 years. God showed me hell so I can warn people, and he did. In my hotel room at the NFL meetings, nine demons of hell. The ceiling opened up in my suite. Nine demons out of hell, as real as you sitting here, came into my hotel room. As they came towards me, I knew the minute they reached me, I was going to die. But praise God, I shouted out at the top of my lungs, Jesus Christ, save me. The name above all name. By the way, Jesus' name, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Above the earth, in heaven right now, the angels. On the earth, everyone who's ever lived. And below the earth, even the demons are going to lay before Jesus and confess he's Lord. It's too late for them, by the way. That's why today is the day of salvation, folks. Do not harden your heart this morning. God's calling you. There's a very famous doctor, Maurice Rawlings. He wrote a book that just changed my life, Beyond Death's Door. He was an atheist and arrogant. He didn't believe in God, but guess what happened? I want to describe a patient. By the way, if you go on a treadmill in a doctor's office, one chance in 10,000, you will drop dead as you're on the treadmill. I've been on it. I think about that. This atheist, arrogant doctor who didn't believe in God, here's what happened to him. Man drops dead. Listen to what he says about it. Each time that he regained his heartbeat and respiration, the patient screamed, I'm in hell. He was terrified and pleaded with me to help him. I was scared to death, said Dr. Rawlings. Then I noticed a genuinely alarmed look on his face. He had a terrified look, worse than the expression seen in death, which, by the way, Rawlings has seen many times. This patient had a grotesque grimace expressing sheer horror. His pupils were dilated, and he was perspiring and trembling. He looked as if his hair was on end. Then still another strange thing happened. He said, don't you understand? I'm in hell. Every time his heart stopped, he went into hell. Don't let me go back to hell. The man was serious, and it finally occurred to me that he was indeed in trouble. He was in a panic like I've never seen before. As Paul Harvey says, it's not the end of the story. That night, Dr. Rawlings came home and got on his knees. And his godly mother had told him about Jesus. The verses came back to him. And he repented of his sins that night and was born again. And his whole life was changed because of it. And he has since written books about out-of-body experiences. And he found out that people that go into hell, which are most people, their mind blocks out the horror. It's so horrible. They can't recall it. And so he has been at the bedside recording it within the next two days and showing what awaits those who are lost. Revelation 14.11 says, And the smoke of their torment in hell ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. Think of this. You're never going to have rest in hell. Just the opposite of heaven, a peace and joy. 
No rest for one second. They have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Then Jesus says in Luke 12, 4-5, And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of who can kill the body. And after that, they have no more what they can do to you. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear God, who after he has killed you, has the power to cast into hell. Yes, I say, fear God. Fear him. Ladies and gentlemen, girls and boys, today is the day of salvation. Revelation 3.20, the verse I used to lead Kurt Carlson to Christ in the hospital room six years ago. One of my favorite verses. Jesus is talking about you. He's talking about your heart. He says, Behold, I stand at your heart's door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. The second service, I'm going to have a young man sitting right here. His name is Jonathan Snyder. He could only make the second service. Eleven days ago, he was steeped in witchcraft and Satanism for the last 15 years. Ten days ago, I had the privilege to preach, preach at the Salvation Army. We had a movement of the Holy Spirit where people came to Christ in a drug program. People recommitted their life. A massive return out. Not this young man. He told me at lunch this past week that he was angry about my message because the Holy Spirit was convicting him. He had bought the lies of Lucifer. He has worshipped Lucifer, by the way, the last 13 years. But the Holy Spirit of God convicted him. Thursday morning, one of the Salvation Army Treatment Center, he said, I've got to get out. I've got to get out. They thought he meant the drug program. He said, no, I've got to get out of witchcraft and demonism. And the four people who prayed for him told me the following happened. As they prayed for him in the chapel of the Salvation Army a week ago Thursday, they said sulfur, brimstone, and fire filled the room with smoke. And they could smell it coming out of him as the demons left him. He's been set free. He's been born again. And he's going to be here in the second service. You're going to see redemption because God wants nobody to perish. Not even this 20-year-old boy who had a lonely, sad life. Greg Laurie, the wonderful preacher, says that some guys sitting in the bar and women sitting in the bar who are cheating on their spouses are closer to being saved than those sitting in the church because they know they're sinners. And I want to read to you one of the verses that scares me most in the Bible. It's in Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Now listen to this. This is Jesus speaking. Many, not some, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? We've cast out demons in your name. We've done many wonders in your name. These are pretty major things they've done. By the way, he doesn't deny they did those things. The difference is that a demon, even preaching God's word, can win souls because the word will not come back void. There are people in churches and pastors who are preaching God's word. Souls might come to Christ and they're not even saved themselves. And then Jesus says to these people, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I believe without any question, God is speaking to some of you here today. You have a choice of heaven or hell. Some of you have never come to Christ. Some of you have, are out of fellowship with the Lord. I'd like all of you to bow your heads right now and close your eyes. This is a holy moment. I ask no one to look around, please. Everyone close your eyes and bow your heads, please. I want to ask a very serious question. There are some of you who might have never accepted Christ as personal Savior. You have no assurance you're going to go to heaven if you were to die today. And right now, I would like to ask you to make a decision for Jesus. He's standing at your heart's door and he's knocking. If anyone will hear his voice and open up his heart, he promises he'll come in. If you've never asked Christ to come in your heart, I want every knee, I want every eye closed, every head bowed this holy moment.
If you've never asked Jesus to come into your life, but you want to know that you're saved, you want to know that your sins have been forgiven, you want to know that you are assured of heaven because of the Word of God, would you raise your hand right now if you'd like to ask Christ to come to your heart? Would you raise your hand right now? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone? Thank you. Praise God. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. He's moving here. Anyone else wants to reach tea? Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Those of you who raise your hands, I want you just to pray a prayer with me. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you and those that are backslidden to come forward. But those that raise your hands, I want to say a prayer right now that will assure you, if you'll say this in your heart, right where you're sitting, will you say this prayer privately to yourself, and you're going to be born again and enter the kingdom of heaven. And many have raised their hands. Praise God. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner. I know that because the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But right now, Heavenly Father, I know that you love me and you've forgiven me of my sins. And I ask by faith right now for you to forgive me of my sins and that Jesus, that you would come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. And I thank you, Jesus, for doing that because the Bible says that he that has the Son has eternal life. Amen. For those many that prayed that prayer, I want you to know, one, you've been born again. That you have a passport for heaven right now. And I also want you to know another thing that's extraordinary. The Bible says the angels in heaven right now are before the throne of God with your name on their voice. And they're praising God with your name from Wyzetta, Minnesota and Heavenlies right now before God that you've been born again. Your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. We have a second group here. There are many, I already know it in my spirit, that are backslidden. You have grieved the Spirit. You have quenched the Spirit. You do not have the joy in your salvation as you used to have it. And it grieves God immensely. He's calling with His near-pused hands to draw you back to Him. And He wants to have fellowship with you again closely. Every eye closed and every head bowed. If you're backslidden and you're out of fellowship with Jesus, we just raise your hands, please. Just raise your hands if you're out of fellowship. If you want to come back into fellowship, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Anyone else? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Many, many. God is speaking here. Thank you, thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. The Holy Spirit of God is moving in this service right now. For those of you that are backslidden, I want to say the following prayer while you're sitting. Say this privately to yourself. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that thou art the Savior and the Lord. I have loved you. I know I'm saved, but I'm backslidden. I've grieved you. I've quenched you. I'm out of fellowship with you for things I've done and thought. But God, I know that I'm a sinner. I repent of that. I know that I'm a child of yours. I want to come back to you right now. So Lord, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And I ask you right now, Jesus, to come into my heart and to be Lord of my life again. And I claim this and I thank you for forgiveness. Amen. Now I'm going to ask one last thing that takes some courage. Jesus says, those who admit me, I'll admit in front of my Father. Those that deny me, I'll deny in front of my Father. I'm going to ask right now for those of you that made a decision either to come to Christ the first time ever, or those of you who said that you're out of fellowship, I want you to come forward. It isn't for my pleasure. It's not for any ego. It's to confess publicly. But God honors those who will confess. I've got to tell you, God had me confess something very seriously. And I'm going to tell you what it is, because I'm ashamed of it. A man this week, after I got done speaking of the Salvation Army, he said, Paul, the Lord showed me a vision about you. He said, you're carrying the Ark of the Covenant. 
And God's going to let you bring the gospel to the world. But the danger is you want to share his glory. And God will not share his glory. And I want to tell you something. I was convicted. And I said, Lord, forgive me of my sin. All the glory and honor go to you only, not me. I'm purely a servant carrying the pole of the Ark of the Covenant. But all the honor goes to the king. Right now, those of you who have made that decision, I want you to come forward right now as John Carlson sings an amazing song. If you made a decision to come to Christ the first time, or for those of you, and I don't want you to feel shamed. If you have come to Christ before, but you repented of your sins today, and you were out of fellowship, you were backslidden, I want you to come forward also. Please come as John sings. Weak and wounded sinner, lost and left to die. Please step forward. If you made a decision today, or you're backslidden and you make a decision, please step forward and affirm it publicly to God. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and live. Now your burdens lifted and carried far away. Precious blood has washed away the stain. So sing to Jesus. Sing to Jesus. Sing to Jesus and live. Like a newborn baby, don't be afraid to crawl. And remember when you walk, sometimes we fall. So fall on Jesus, fall on Jesus, fall on Jesus and live. Sometimes the way is lonely and steep and filled with pain. So if your sky is dark and pours the rain, then cry to Jesus, cry to Jesus, cry to Jesus. Oh, and when the love spills over, the music fills the night. And when you can't contain your joy inside, then dance for Jesus, dance for Jesus, dance for Jesus, and live. I just want to say to those that are up front here, there are many more that made a decision for Christ. There are many more that recommitted your life, and for whatever reason you didn't want to come forward, that's okay. I just want you to know on the assurance of God that if you said a sinner's prayer this morning, and many, many, many of you did, you've been forgiven of all your sins. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, they never meet, by the way. He's forgiven you of transgressions. Isaiah says God throws our sins in the deepest part of the ocean, never to be seen again. Isaiah says that God takes our sins and throws them behind his back, never to see him. So whether you're up front or not, every one of you who came to Christ today, you've been born again. Though you that out of fellowship that didn't come forward. God has forgiven you. But I want to thank every one of you that came forward and confessed. I want the pastoral staff and the elders to please come and join these people along the altar here. If you're here, the pastoral staff and elders, would you come forward and please 
line and just pray as we do a closing prayer here today. God is here today, friends. He doesn't want anyone to perish. I've got a brother, Ray, who I've been praying for for years. Who was going to come to the service this morning and Satan stopped him from coming again. I just ask you to pray for the lost, your family members, your neighbors, your friends. Because if they don't receive heaven, the gift, they're going to receive hell, what I described. It's beyond horror. Let me close in prayer and then I'm going to ask the elders and the pastors to deal with those up front. And this prayer is for those at the altar. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for those at the altar. If it's their first time ever receiving Jesus Christ as personal Savior, we rejoice like the angels in heaven. We thank you, God, for your faithfulness. Your word will not come back void. And God, let them have the assurance by the word of God, you do not lie, that their sins have all been forgiven. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then, Lord, for those who were out of fellowship and had grieved and quenched your Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit called them back to you today, Lord. Thank you that they heard your voice, that they desired to have the relationship with you, and they do now under your promise that whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, and you call us back to you. God bless Wyzetta Free. Bless our pastoral staff. Bless our elders. Bless our members that we may love Jesus with all of our heart and that we may love one another as ourselves. And God, I just want to close by giving you all the praise and glory. You alone have moved in this service today. It's your Holy Spirit that has moved. And we thank you for that. Amen.